Hey, what's up? My name is Stephen, and I lead Avenue Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, along with my wife and an incredible team. We really have a desire to see people experience God's unconditional love, find their true identity in Christ, and live out their purpose. And we would love to connect with you. You can find us on all social media platforms simply by searching Our Avenue Church. You can also check us out online by going to OurAvenueChurch.com. We really pray that something in this message inspires and equips you to experience the way of life you were created to live in Christ. Enjoy. let's jump into week, I think we're at week five. This may be one of the longest series that I've ever done, just carrying all the way through the summer, looking at heroes of the faith. We're talking about running with giants, and Hebrews talks about that we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses of all these heroes of the faith that have a good reputation because of their faith, and they didn't have a good reputation because everything went well but they have a good reputation because they followed God even when things didn't go well. We spent the last couple of weeks looking at Elijah and Elisha, and today we're gonna look at maybe one of the more famous stories in the Old Testament, and it's about a young lady who wins a beauty pageant that lasts three years. That is a long time. So three-year beauty pageant, and it's not just a crown and a baton that she gets to be Miss America or Miss World or Miss Universe, but at the end of this three years, she actually becomes the queen of a nation called Persia that was actually um, holding the nation of Israel, the Jewish people, captive. And King Xerxes had essentially kicked out his other queen because she wouldn't show up to a party. And he's like, in order to get a new queen, I'm gonna hold a beauty pageant. And it lasted three years. And so we're gonna take a look at, at three characters in this story in the book of Esther. We have Esther, we have her older cousin Mordecai, and then there's this villain, so to speak, his name is Haman. And Haman does not like Mordecai. He doesn't like him because Mordecai doesn't, doesn't, doesn't bow to him, doesn't surrender, submit to him. And so he puts together this plot, not just to annihilate and kill Mordecai, but really to annihilate the whole Jewish community that is living here in this nation. And you probably, if you've been at church at any time in a small group in a Bible study, you have heard this verse that says this. So Mordecai comes to her and, 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 and says this to Esther. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for just such a time as this. You probably have a coffee mug with that on it, right? Or a t-shirt like, like we've heard. Who knows? Maybe you've been put in this position for just such a time as this. And, and maybe you've been encouraged with that when you've been stepping into a situation or there's been a challenge and you don't know whether to step into it and step up. And people are like, who knows? Maybe God has placed you here just for such a time as this. And what, what Esther is facing is really an attack. It's an attack on her, her family, all those that are close to her. It's an attack on all of those she is connected to spiritually, religiously. It's her people. And I've had people ask me, like, like, how do you know that you're under attack? How do you know that you're being placed in a moment, in a situation 
where maybe God is calling you to step up. And I got to thinking maybe about my life and about the lives of some other people. And, and here's what you can start to look for really is when there is an increase in influence and favor in your life. Maybe you're in the workplace, maybe it's in your family, maybe it's in the community, and, and you start seeing an increase in favor and influence. Good things are happening while at the same time, you are seeing an attack on yourself and also those that you care about. That you are seeing um, and, and like things happen that are good, but then we're also feeling like there is an attack. We're seeing an advancement, but there's also opposition. And there's this tension that's coming. There's this tension that we're feeling. There's all these good things that are happening, but I also feel like I'm under attack. It could be in that moment that God is, is aligning and maybe placing you, or you are already in a place where you are called to step up. But who knows for just such a time as this. And this is where we see Esther in the middle of attack. And just to give a little backstory, we're gonna jump ahead to, to Esther chapter three, verses five and six, of why Haman was so upset and so angry and wanted to destroy not just Mordecai, but wanted to destroy the whole nation of Israel. And verse five says, when Haman saw that Mordecai would not bow down or show him respect, he was filled with rage. He had learned of how Mordecai's nationality, he's a Jew, so he had learned about his nationality. He said he decided it was not enough just to lay hands on Mordecai alone. Instead, he looked for a way to destroy all the Jews throughout the entire empire of Xerxes. And so Haman was this, was this high commander. He was the second in command in, in, the, in the country, so to speak. And so Mordecai was not bowing. So not just to attack Mordecai and destroy him, but he's like, I'm gonna go one step further and destroy the whole nation. And so Haman goes to King Xerxes and he has this conversation because he can't really do anything without the king's approval. And so he goes to the king and he, he flips it and he says this, there's a certain race of people scattered throughout all the provinces of your empire, king. These are people who keep to themselves separate from everyone else. Their laws are different from those of any other people and they refuse to obey the laws of the king. So is it not in the king's best interest to not let them live? And so he's saying, look, there's this group of people that lives in your nation and they kind of keep to themselves. They don't follow your laws. They follow their own set of laws. They follow their own God's commandments, not yours. They keep to themselves. They are set apart. They are holy in comparison to the rest of the nation. See, what God has called us to be as followers of Jesus is set apart. He has called us to be separate from everyone else. And as a result, Esther's people are now coming under attack. And this is what we have to understand when the enemy comes to attack. The enemy's attacks are both calculated and broad. They are both calculated and broad. What does that mean? It means that it's very specific that it's coming against a very specific thing for a specific reason, and it's not just against you, but it can also be broad against those that we are closest to. Because if he cannot, if the enemy cannot just get to us, I don't wanna scare you, right? But this is a spiritual principle that we need to understand. If he can't just get to us, he's going to get to us through those around us. 
And what we need to understand is that, that the way Haman works is the enemy here, our enemy is Satan, and the enemy attacks this, one, when you are living the way that you're supposed to, and he attacks you when you have more fluence than maybe influence than what you used to have. So many times we think because we're living right and obeying God, things are going to get easier. And like we, I try not to say follow Jesus and everything will be easier. Because most of the times following Jesus doesn't make things easier, but it makes them better in the hard, right? And so in this time, the, the, the children of Israel are under captivity and they're doing their best to follow their God's commandments and their God's ways. And it's in this that they're being attacked. And so the, our enemy will attack us when we are living the way that we're supposed to be obedient with God. And when we get into places that we have more influence, do you know at times why the enemy will, will attack us? Maybe after a promotion or things are going well and we have this influence because when we are attacked and he wins the battles, so to speak, in the moment, we've won the war. But if he wins the battle, it not only affects us, but it affects those that we are closest to. My mom lives in a little small West Tennessee community, one stoplight. Anybody else, right? One stoplight grew up in a one horse town, right? Um, there are actually more people at my oldest daughter's high school, like more students at the high school than there are people in my entire town. And I went and spent some time with her last week and just in sharing just things that are happening in the, happening in the community, she's catching me up. And as she's telling me all these stories, there are like six churches within Hardin and McNary County that their pastors have had a moral failing. Six pastors that have had a moral failing. Little country churches, bigger country churches. Because what happens when the pastor gets attacked and doesn't hold his ground, it just doesn't affect him, his family, but it affects everyone that goes to that church. And so when God lifts us to a place of greater influence, we need to be aware that there also could be an opportunity for a place of greater attack, right? And so... Story gets better, I promise, all right? So, so Haman is crafting this plan of how he's gonna destroy, but God already has a plan in place to combat Haman's plan. And so what I want you to understand and what I want you to know is the enemy has a plan to attack, but God already has a plan for victory in your life. So even though Haman wants to destroy all the Jews in the country, there is someone of greater influence that he does not know that has the ear of the king to put a stop to this. And so we see in Esther chapter two, verse 10, now let's, let's jump back to the beginning of the story. Esther had not told anyone of her nationality and of, and of her family background. So she's not told the king, she's not told the advisors, she's gone through the whole beauty pageant without anyone finding out what her nationality is. And the reason she hasn't done that is because Mordecai directed her not to do so. Her cousin said, don't tell anybody really who you are. Every day, Mordecai would take a walk near the courtyard of, of the harem and find out about Esther and what was happening to her. We don't know why he didn't tell her. Like, we don't know why he gave her the advice, don't say anything, but it's, that doesn't matter. What matters is that she listened. What matters is that she listened. And for you and I, when we feel like we're under attack, 
We need to look around us and we need to trust and honor the mentors God has placed in our life. That there are people that, that God has in your life, there are people that God has in my life to encourage us, to give us different perspectives. Um, God places them around us to speak into our life and to challenge us at times. When we moved here and I was trying to meet with different pastors in the city just to get an idea of what their experience has been like pastoring a church in the city and calling and texting and emailing pastors, the very first pastor that reached out to me that agreed to have coffee with me was, was, was Pastor John Shepherd at River Oaks Community Church over by Toots on Franklin, if you're familiar with that Toots, anybody, right? And so there's a church that back behind it called River Oaks Church, and he actually planted the church 22 years ago, um, left to plant other churches, and then came back to pastor the church. And two weeks ago was actually his last Sunday. He resigned and retired, and he's doing other things. But in 2020, um, I was working at FedEx, and I'd just been promoted out of the dock and loading trucks into operations. And so got a nice little bump in pay, was getting benefits, was kind of moving up fairly quickly. But I was working ridiculous number of hours. My kids were back in school. I went in at one o'clock in the afternoon. Guess where they're at? School. I get off at one o'clock in the morning. Guess where they're at? In bed. And so for about four months, we were working literally like 60 plus hours a week, not seeing my family. The church was kind of struggling. And so he texted me one day. He's like, hey, can we get coffee? And so we go to the Just Love over on Old Fort and we're sitting and I'm telling him how things are going and how it's hard, how it's tough. And I remember him very vividly saying, look, Stephen, you're going to have to make a decision. At this pace, you are going to self-destruct. You are going to burn out. You're going to have an affair. Something's going to happen to your marriage. There is no way that you can continue at this pace, at this age, with all these responsibilities and not fail. So he said, look, if you want to go all in at FedEx and build a career in that, go all in at FedEx. But if you want to plant a church, you have to leave FedEx and go all in on planting the church. And this had become a very large part of my family's um, like money and, and, and provision. And he told me, he said, you can go all in at FedEx, but I don't think God called you to Murfreesboro to go all in at FedEx. He said, so you got to make a decision. You have to make a decision, FedEx or plant the church. And I'd had maybe three conversations, four conversations with this pastor at this time. And so my wife went on vacation, or my family and I went on vacation the next week and just through prayer decided I gotta turn in my two weeks notice and kind of felt bad because I'd just gotten promoted, you know? And it's like, you know what? Thanks for the job, but I've got other things to do. And I texted him this morning just as I was thinking about that. Like that was such a pivotal moment in my life and really a pivotal moment for this church for us to make a decision and go all in. And so we need these mentors around us to challenge us. And so Mordecai finds out that Haman wants to destroy all the Jews. And he comes to Esther as a mentor and says, look, here's the plan. I need you with your influence to go to the king and beg mercy on him so that he doesn't destroy us. And she backs out. She says, Mordecai, you have, like everyone knows that you can't go before the king unless he's called you. And he hasn't called me in 30 days. If I go without his approval, I'm going to die. And so in this moment, she's being selfish. And we've all thought selfishly at times. 
we've all thought, man, if I make this decision, if I step out in the middle of this attack, like, like if I do this, this is going to affect me. And as I was thinking about FedEx, it's like, if, if I step out, then I'm going to lose provision for my family, like all these things. And we see it throughout all these heroes. A lot of times our first response is selfish. How can I protect me? We even see it in Jesus when he is at the Garden of Gethsemane and he's praying. He says, Lord, if there is any way to take this cup from me, please do so. Even our Savior is struggling with some selfishness. If there's anything, any way that I cannot have to suffer, let me not suffer. But my will or your will be done, not mine. Esther 4, verse 13. So, Esther tells Mordecai this, and then Mordecai sends back this response and says, don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace that you will escape when all other Jews are killed. So don't think just because you're in a safe place that when they find out, he will have to kill you too because he has made this decree, and when the king makes a decree, he has to follow through. It can't be undone. And so Mordecai is saying, you're not even safe. So if you hide, and when they do find out your nationality, you are no longer safe. He says, if you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. And so he's trying to give Esther a bigger picture. He's zooming out like something may happen to you, to me, and everyone else here, but at some point, God will raise up someone who will, who will combat, who will fight the attack. And then he says this, he says, who knows if perhaps you were made queen for just such a time of this. See, when God gives us these mentors, these mentors then give us a different vantage point from our mentors. A vantage point is just a better place of seeing things in the moment of an attack. If you watch movies, people want to make sure they have the best vantage point so they can see the enemy and the place that they're going. They want to be able to see the rest of their team. And so mentors give us a better vantage point. Pastor John Shepard gave me a better vantage point perspective to see things that I wasn't seeing in that moment. And, and he doesn't really say, Mordecai doesn't really say, hey, this is what you need to do. He asks a question. He says, who knows? So it's not a for certain thing because it very well could be that she's not there for that purpose, but we don't know unless we take that step of faith. And so Esther makes this statement in verse 15. Esther sent the reply, says, go, or let me, let me go back to this. Um, so he gives her the challenge and she steps out. Um, and she says this, go and gather together all the Jews of Susa, and fast for me. Don't eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will do the same. And so she knows what she's about to do is a huge risk. She knows it's a chance she could lose her life or he could grant her entrance into his presence. And so she says, look, go and call everyone to fast and pray for three days. I'm gonna do the same. My maids are gonna do the same. And here's what I want you in here to understand. Like, we don't have to face these attacks alone. God gives us mentors to give us good vantage points and perspectives to speak truth, but then he also places us in community with people that can be praying and can be fasting with us 
at times. That's why every Sunday, every Sunday at the end of service, I'm like, hey, on your way out, we've got prayer team members up here to pray with you, to pray for you about anything that's going on in your life. And you may not want anyone to know. You don't have to tell them what it is. Just say, hey, I need prayer. That's why once a month we've started doing ministry time during worship where you can turn to the people around you and say, hey, look, I'm going through this. Can you pray with me? Because so many times we try to carry these weights of life through alone, just wishing we had someone to pray with us and pray for us. And maybe we're prideful and don't want to share it, or maybe we're ashamed and don't want to share it, or maybe we're uncertain or we don't want to share it. Guess what we need to do? We need to share it. And one of the greatest places that you can find mentors and community to have your back so you're not fighting alone is in a church community. But it's not just showing up on Sunday mornings, taking a seat, standing when the countdown's over, singing some songs, listening to a sermon, and then when the final amen is said, you walk out to your car and go about your week. That's not community. That is an event that you went to for that morning. In order to have people with you during an attack, let me just encourage you, one of the greatest places that you can find mentors and people to stand around you is not just a gathering on a Sunday morning, but being a part of one of our serve teams and being part of a small group. That's where the next level of and, and next layer of protection and attack and, 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 and strength comes is when you're a part of a serve team and a part of a small group. It's not just so that we can boast about the people that we have serving and boast about the people that we have in small group. It is for you so that you can link arms with people in the midst of your attack and you can stand with others who are going through their attack as well. And so, and so Esther makes the decision, I'm gonna go forward, but I don't wanna go alone. And in verse 16, it says, and then, though it's against the law, I will go in to see the king. If I must die, I must die. And so Mordecai went away and did everything that Esther had ordered him. And so the decision comes in the midst of attack where you have to step forward and, and stepping forward. And I feel like I've said something similar to this, guys, every single week because it's the truth and maybe we need to hear it again and again and again and again just in a different way so that we all get it that faith is walking in certainty of who our God is even when our situation is uncertain. Let me say that again. Faith is walking in the certainty of who our God, everyone say our God, not just some God, not just the God, but he is our God. That's how we refer to him. He's ours and we are his. It is walking in the certainty of who he is, even in the uncertainty of our situation. We see this in the life of every single hero of faith. And even for me, I feel like at 44, almost 45, I'm just now starting to get this because this is how we feel like faith is. Faith is walking when we know the certainty of everything. Faith is, is leaning into God so that we can get all the right answers and all the correct direction and know exactly how it's gonna play out that that's faith. Faith is making sure we get all the directions and instructions so we can step. Faith is, is stepping even when you don't have all the instructions and all the directions. That it's knowing, all right, I know God's good. And I know, like John said, he works everything for my good. I feel like I'm supposed to step 
I'm uncertain what's underneath. It's muddy water. <laughs> like, I don't know what's on the other side, but I'm going to step even though it's uncertain. One of my favorite stories in the Old Testament is the story of, of Radshak, Meshach, and Abednego. Radshak and Benny for all my VeggieTale lovers. And when they're tossed in the furnace, they make this statement. We know, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, that our God is able to save us from this furnace. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear. I love that line. We want to make it clear, your majesty, and they're honoring your majesty, that we will never bow and worship you. And so there is certainty in God's ability and nature and character, even in the uncertainty of the situation. And knowing that just because he doesn't bring them out doesn't mean he's not good. We like to see it that way. But there's a greater plan in place. There's a greater plan in place. And so we walk in the certainty of our God even as we walk in the uncertainty of our situation. And so on the third day of the fast, she goes into the palace. She goes into the palace and the king welcomes her, hands out his scepter, she touches it. And she steps in and gives her plan and what she's wanting. She finds favor with the king. And here's what I want us to understand is favor precedes the faithful. Favor goes ahead of those who are faithfully stepping. Favor goes ahead. It's already there before you get there. I've heard pastors say that, that favor follows the faithful. I think he goes ahead of us. That as we're taking step, God's already making provision and setting things up that the favor is already there so that when we walk into it, we're not having to wait on it to catch up with us. We are actually having to catch up with the favor that's already there. Because we are taking steps of obedience, taking steps of faith, we see this again and again and again in Scripture. I've seen this again and again in my life, again and again in the lives of those in this room. And if you go back and listen to our Hope Restored stories, in the midst of all the Hope Restored stories where, where God is redeeming situations, you also see that favor was going ahead of them in their obedience with April adopting her two daughters. She didn't know if the provision was gonna be there. You're not gonna know until you take the step of obedience and favor was there once she got there. And so in the midst of an attack and you feel like God's calling you to, to stand, to step, to go, to do whatever, Know that when you step through, the favor is going to be there. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Doesn't mean it's going to be easy. And so we're getting closer to the end of the story, guys. And in, in Esther 6 and 7, we see this, this awesome story where, where Haman just can't take it anymore. So he set up this plan to destroy all the Jews, but it's going to be like a year later. And he's just really fed up with Mordecai. He's fed up with Mordecai because Mordecai is just disrespecting him and he's not taking it anymore. So he, he sets up this 75-foot sharpened pole where he's decided he's going to impale Mordecai on this pole. And at the same time he's coming up with this plan, King Xerxes can't sleep at night. And so he wakes up and he has one of his attendants read him a bedtime story. And so his attendant pulls this bedtime story and he's reading it and it's actually the story of where Mordecai saved King Xerxes' life. And Mordecai was like, or, or King Xerxes was like, did we do anything for Mordecai that saved my life? And the guy was like, no, we didn't do anything. And the king's like, well, we need to do something to honor because Mordecai has saved my life. And about that time, Haman walks in the room and King Xerxes says, hey, Haman, got a question for you. What? should I do to honor someone? 
And King Haman is, or, or, or Haman's like, well, I don't, he doesn't say this out loud, but he thinks it. He's like, well, who in the kingdom would the king want to honor besides me? And so he's thinking, well, here, king, here's what you should do. Take one of your robes that you have worn, give it to him. Take one of your horses that you have ridden, give it to him. Then take one of your nobles and lead this man through the street shouting, this is what the king does to honor those who have honored him. And King Xerxes is like, Haman, that's an incredible idea. And so Haman's like, I know, because he's thinking it's him. And he says, take everything that you just said and do it to Mordecai. Talk about flipping the script. Haman is wanting to impale Mordecai, but now the king has him honoring him. And I love this in Esther 6, 11. So Haman took the robes and put them on Mordecai. Man, you know that had to be burning him up because he thought he was going to be wearing those robes. And he placed him on the king's own horse. And now Haman is leading Mordecai through the streets in the city square shouting, this is what the king does for someone who wishes he wishes to honor. This is what the king, I mean, imagine that. It's a parade through the city. So I just heard the Grizzlies. It's a parade inside my city, yay. Um, Grizzly fans get that, right? So there's, there's this parade, and he's saying, this is what the king does to honor those that he wants to honor. And I love this. It says, afterwards, Mordecai returned to the palace gate, but Haman hurried home, dejected and completely humiliated. And this was just the beginning. As the story unfolds and Queen Esther reveals Haman's plan, King Xerxes takes Haman and impales him on the very pole that he had reserved for Mordecai. And here's what I want us to remember in our attacks, is that our enemy is not just defeated, but he is shamed in his defeat. Is that he is shamed in his defeat. He is shamed. And I love what Paul says in Colossians chapter 2 talking about our great enemy, Satan. It says, he canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. So every charge that we have against us, our God has taken it away and nailed it to the cross. And it says, in this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. I love this. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. And so when you look at the story and the sacrifice of Jesus, the enemy meant for the cross to be a place of shame for Jesus. But it was actually the place of redemption for us. And it became the place of shame for the enemy. And so know this, like whatever battle attack that you're facing, God already has a plan. He's already made a way. We have to trust and follow and bring other people along and know that at the end, the enemy is already defeated, but shamefully defeated. And the last thing I wanna say is this, is, is when you read this story, and I encourage you, it's just a few chapters. You can read it in 30 minutes or so. And as you're reading it, you will discover, maybe not, that God is not mentioned anywhere. It's not mentioned anywhere in the story. It's the only script, it's, it's, it's the only book in the Bible where God, Jesus, Lord, Yahweh is not mentioned anywhere in the story. 
But just because he's not seen there doesn't mean that he's not there. That just because he's not seen there doesn't mean he's not there because our God is always at work behind the scenes. Just know that. Like in all things, God is always at work behind the scenes. Whether you see him, whether you hear him, whether you feel him, it doesn't mean that he's not there. And so as we're reading this, here's what you and I can do, guys. We can read this, and because we know the nature of God, and we know that he works things together, we know that that he orders the steps of the righteous, we can see that him putting Esther in the palace Seven years, think about this, seven years before Haman's plan came up, she had been in the palace for seven years. God was working, don't you think, getting Esther there for that time. And so know that what may seem like a never-ending battle, God has had a plan in place for the right time, in the right season. We see it because we are outside of this story. But when we're in the midst of our story, it's hard for us to see, right? And so I don't know like where you're at and what you're facing, what attacks that you may feel like you're on and they're very calculated, they can be broad. But God has placed mentors around your life. If you don't, if you don't have one, get on a team, get in a small group, don't just come to church on Sundays. Whether it's Avenue Church or any other church that you wanna go be a part of, don't just be surface level. Get some people around you that can pray with you, pray for you. And then when the time comes, take those steps of faith, knowing that God's always working behind the scenes. Let me pray for us as we close. If you're here today and you do not have a relationship with Jesus, and you are trying to fight this battle on your own, fighting the attacks on your own, and it feels like nothing that you're doing is working out of your own strength. It's because you're working out of your own strength and you have to surrender your strength to his, surrender your will to his, surrender your way to his, and that comes through a relationship with Jesus, accepting the sacrifice that he's made and the work that he's done for the forgiveness of your sins. It's not anything that you have to do except say, Jesus, I give you my life and then live in accordance to that and surrendering your life. And so if you're here today and you just from today's experience recognize God's working behind the scenes, even in that, I wanna pray for you. And you need to surrender your life to Jesus in this moment today or maybe you're a Christian, but you don't have a relationship with him and you need a fresh start with him today, I wanna invite you just to lift your hand up so I know who I can pray for and then you can put it right back down just so I know who I'm praying for. Awesome. And let me pray for the rest of us. Father, I just come to you this morning and I thank you um, so much for what you're doing in our lives and through this season. And God, there may be some in this room that feel like they are under attack and they don't know what to do. That it felt like everything was going really well and going their way, but now it feels like the wheels are coming off and maybe the walls are falling down and it's this tension that you have placed them or, or, or they are in a place of decision to stand firm in what you've called them to. 
And God, I pray that their ears would be open to the right mentors that they have in their life currently or you would send the right mentors. Those that love you, that trust you, that know your word. And God, that they would receive a new perspective from those mentors. God, that we would just trust you with the process that you're working behind the scenes, that even though the enemy has a plan, you've always had a plan, that we are victorious already. And it's withstanding and and standing firm in the midst of it. And God, for anyone here today that raised their hand, and even those that didn't, that don't know you in this moment, I pray that they would just experience an overwhelming joy, that all the shame and guilt of, of things that they are ashamed of, that have broken your heart, that they've carried, that has brought them to this moment. God, that they leave it at your feet and they accept your mercy, your grace, your joy, your salvation as they walk in obedience and trusting you. So God, let us walk in the rest of our week um, knowing that you are with us and that you are for us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.